Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why a 2004 referendum on citizenship is back in the news. 2004, the Celtic Tiger was roaring. We did, however, stop smoking indoors that year. Network 2 became RTE2 again. Jacques Chirac said Ireland's presidency of the European Commission was the best ever. Ireland's rugby team won the Triple Crown for the first time in almost 20 years. It was a pretty rosy time. And that was the backdrop to a referendum which led to a debate in political circles, but an outright vote in its favour by the Irish public. The 27th Amendment removed the automatic constitutional right to citizenship for all people born in Ireland, leaving it up to the Oireachtas to legislate to regulate citizenship. Much of the debate ahead of the vote on the 11th of June centred on people coming from outside of the EU when pregnant. The alleged practice became known as maternity tourism. Over the last few years, we have seen many stories of children who have never lived outside of Ireland fighting deportation orders. Campaigners who want to see new laws say this is a direct consequence of that vote. The Labour Party put forward a bill in 2018 to amend the law, which would see children who are born in Ireland and who have lived here for at least three years be considered for naturalisation as an Irish citizen, irrespective of the status of their parents. This is being pushed again now by the party and will be back before the Shannon in the first week of December. Could this spell change? And what would that mean in reality and practice? To answer those questions, I'm joined by Hilary Hogan, a doctoral researcher at the European University Institute in Florence, previously of Trinity College, and who has researched this subject extensively. Thanks a million for joining us, Hilary. Thanks so much for having me. For anyone who hasn't heard of it, Hilary, what is the 27th Amendment? So the 27th Amendment was introduced in 2004, um, as you said, to remove the automatic entitlement of all of those born on the island of Ireland to citizenship at birth. Birthright citizenship was inserted into the Constitution as part of the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. And the original purpose was to ensure that people from Northern Ireland wouldn't be deprived of Irish citizenship. And what the 27th Amendment does, um, it leaves it up to the Oireachtas to legislate to regulate citizenship. And since the 1st of January 2005, automatic citizenship is limited to those who have at least one parent who's been lawfully resident in the state for at least three of the past four years. What did the Constitution say before the Good Friday Agreement? Well, from 1937 to 1998, we had birthright citizenship, but it was conferred by statute. So from 1998, it was elevated from legislation um, to constitutional status. And I should probably flag at this point that in um, 1989, there was the Supreme Court decision, which actually turned out to be quite significant. It was about a family um, who were living in Ireland. The parents um, were here unlawfully and they were served with a deportation order. Now, they'd lived here for several years and they had children who'd been born and raised here and those children were Irish citizens. And what the Supreme Court said was that the constitutional protections afforded to the family meant that the children were entitled to live and reside in Ireland um, with their parents. They were entitled to the care of their parents. And as a result, the parents could not be deported. So by the time the referendum is passed in 1998, there's a clear constitutional meaning. Anyone born on the island of Ireland is entitled to Irish citizenship and child citizens were allowed to live and reside here in Ireland with their parents, even if their parents were here unlawfully in the country as a result of that Supreme Court decision in 1989. Was there a big reaction to that 1989 Supreme Court decision, either politically or publicly? It, not really. It just it doesn't seem to have been particularly controversial at that point. 
But as you alluded to in the introduction, what happened in the 1990s is that Ireland went through this unprecedented economic boom, the Celtic Tiger, and we went through a great deal of drastic economic and social changes. So demand for workers increased as a result of this new prosperity, which the Irish government facilitated by providing work permits for people outside the European Union to come and work in Ireland. Irish nationals who had left um, could return home and seek employment here. And at the same time, applications for asylum also increased quite dramatically. So um, it's quite striking for a nation of emigrants. For the first time really since uh, the colonial plantations in the 16th century, we had more people arriving into the country than leaving it. Um, and a side effect of the 98 referendum was that if you arrived in Ireland and you applied for asylum, and you had a baby in the meantime, because remember, there's quite long delays in processing, and it still is, you could withdraw your application for asylum and apply for residency as a parent of an Irish born child. Now, the referendum commission had actually warned the government in 1998 um, that this could happen. Um, but anyway, they, they chose to proceed with the referendum, the wording of the referendum as it was, regardless. So this wasn't a talking point around the Good Friday Agreement. Obviously, there was bigger fish to fry at that stage. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, it, it was flagged by the Referendum Commission, but for whatever reason, nothing really changed. But it really didn't take long for the first stirrings of unease to manifest itself within the political establishment. So the Irish Times reported, for example, that in 2001, John O'Donoghue, who was then Minister for Justice, proposed to Cabinet that there would be a referendum to change the automatic entitlement to citizenship. So that was broadly welcomed by then Taoiseach Bertie Ahern and Michael McDowell, who was at that point Attorney General. And Liz O'Donnell, who was a junior minister for the Progressive Democrats, opposed it on a point of principle. And instead, they decided they would challenge that precedent from 1989 in the courts. And they were successful in that endeavour. So in a 2003 decision, the Supreme Court accepted that Irish um, parents who had Irish citizen children could be deported regardless of that fact and that those children could always apply to exercise their citizenship rights of residence once they turned 18. And the court said it would be wrong of them not to take account of the fact that there had been a sharp increase in the number of um, immigrants and asylum seekers arriving into the state and that the state had to be allowed to preserve the integrity of those systems. And what we then ended up with was what some commentators characterised as a two-tiered system of constitutional rights. Irish citizenship for certain children of new arrivals to the state didn't guarantee them the right to live with and be cared for by their parents in Ireland. And then what was the climate like? So obviously this was happening in political circles, but was there discourse in public around 2001 to 2003 about this? There wasn't really much um, public discussion of a referendum or the idea of changing the law. There was um, a general election in 2002 and there was no mention of the idea of a referendum at that point. And there was no identifiable public demand or agitation for a change in the law. Now, despite that, in March 2004, Michael McDowell, who was by that point Minister for Justice, announced that the government planned to hold a referendum to amend Article 2, the Entitlement to Birthright Citizenship. So under the terms of that amendment and the new draft legislation that was published by the government, only children who had at least one parent who'd been lawfully resident in Ireland for at least three years when the child was born 
um, would be entitled to automatic Irish citizenship. And the government put forward two main justifications for the referendum. The first was the idea that you've already alluded to, that idea of maternity tourism or citizen tourism, as it was described at the time. And it was the idea that women were arriving into Ireland at a late stage in their pregnancies to have their children here. And the government argued it was possible for someone who had no connection with Ireland whatsoever to arrange their affairs so as to give birth to a child in Ireland and that child would then acquire an entitlement to Irish citizenship. And it was argued that the maternity hospitals in Ireland were under a great deal of pressure from the number of foreign women who were choosing to come to Ireland to give birth to avail of this exemption. Yeah, the, the masters of those hospitals were kind of brought into the debate. What happened there? Mm, so it seems as though in August 2003, around that point, there was a meeting with the masters of two main maternity hospitals who said that quite a number of pregnant women were arriving into Irish hospitals with their antenatal notes from the UK, delivering their child and then leaving quite soon afterwards. And they expressed concern um, about this practice. They said it was quite dangerous for the women themselves to arrive to seek care at quite an advanced stage in their pregnancy or even in labour, and um, they said. And then Minister Michael McDool claimed that uh, the masters had pleaded for constitutional change. Those were his words. Now, there seems to have been some confusion on this point because two of them later released a statement disputing this claim and said the government had, in fact, sought a meeting with them on the issue. But nonetheless, this was an idea that persisted throughout the referendum, that our maternity hospitals were under pressure and this was a practice that, that couldn't continue. What were the different parties' positions on the referendum, Hillary? The largest opposition party at the time was um, Fine Gael, and they supported um, the government's messaging. And the other parties opposed it. Uh, Labour Party, for example, pointed out that the figures presented by the government were inaccurate. Sinn Féin argued that the referendum represented a unilateral breach of the Good Friday Agreement, that it was taken without consultation with Northern Ireland and potentially posed a threat to the peace process. The Green Party also opposed it and they drew links uh, between the historic racism experienced by the Irish abroad in places like the United States and the present day campaign. But the no side on the whole has been described as being quite poorly organised, both within political parties and within wider civil society. And this is probably compounded by the fact that the local and European elections were taking place on the same day. So public discourse and you know, party resources were dominated by candidates vying for seats um, in those um, parliaments and in the, the local councils. I think it's fair to say that at no stage in the campaign did the government produce data which would have supported their claim that maternity hospitals were being overrun by individuals who later applied for residency on behalf of their Irish-born child. And the second issue that the government put forward was this idea of the incentive to circumvent the asylum system. So instead of uh, applying for asylum, which can be quite a long drawn out and and complex process, you could apply for residency on the basis of having had an Irish born child, which was much more straightforward. But it's important to remember that just the previous year, um, the Supreme Court had said that just because you had an Irish born child it didn't, it didn't prevent you from being deported if you were here unlawfully. 
So the question is then is why was there a referendum needed to ensure that children of new arrivals to Ireland could not automatically become citizens? A further factor was the Chen case. So in 2004, uh, the European Court of Justice confirmed that a child born in the European Union had a right to reside in any member state with their non-EU parents, provided they weren't a burden, a burden on the state. And on the advice of her lawyers, Miss Chen, who was one of the parties in the case, had gone to Northern Ireland from England to give birth there. And her daughter, Catherine, was consequently entitled to Irish citizenship. And the government pointed to that case in the lead up to the referendum to point out that Ireland could become the go to destination for individuals trying to access EU membership. Um, and it was true that at, at that point, we were the only country left in the European Union which granted an automatic entitlement to birthright citizenship. How does the 2004 referendum compare to more recent ones? We can flag at this point that we've had two very high profile referendums in recent years, marriage equality and the Eighth Amendment, and both of which went through very long processes of constitutional change, first with constitutional assemblies, then in the case of the Eighth Amendment, an Oireachtas committee. Um, so regardless of your view on the topic, it was almost impossible to ignore the extensive media coverage and debate, which was really exhaustively covered um, from all angles. And there was a great deal of consultation with the relevant stakeholders from representative groups and, of course, individuals themselves who came forward telling their stories. Um, but those two referendums are actually an exception to the norm, to the way that we've done referendums in this country. And in this instance, in 2004, there was no formal deliberation process beforehand. There was no green paper. There was no Oireachtas committee, no public consultation. And above all, there was no attempt or no formal attempt to seek out the views of the people who are most keenly affected by this, asylum seekers and immigrants and their children, whose voices were really lost in 2004. From a legal point of view, has there been any unexpected or unusual outcomes from this amendment? Um, it was argued at the time that no one without genuine links to Ireland should be able to obtain Irish citizenship. But the anomaly we have now is that a child born and raised in Ireland who've lived here their whole lives, who've never left the country, aren't entitled to an Irish passport. Yet someone from New Zealand or Australia or the United States um, who had a grandparent born in Ireland can apply for an Irish passport, even if they've never set foot in the country. Hilary, the rationale for this referendum was about immigration, the types of immigration we were seeing and the numbers we were seeing. Is there anything in the statistics since 2004 that show that that rationale was correct or indeed incorrect? Well, we didn't have a, a drop in people coming into the country and um, that didn't really happen until the recession a few years later. And the statistics that had been provided by the government at the time were somewhat inaccurate and somewhat incomplete. So, for example, it was reported that at the time around 20 percent of births in Ireland were to non-nationals. But, of course, that figure included EU citizens who were perfectly entitled to live and reside in Ireland and have their children here. Um, there was a very high percentage of immigration into Ireland from EU nationals. In 2002, that figure was about 70%. And by 2004, 10 new countries had become entitled to a veil of free movement. So I imagine that figure only increased. For 2003, the government could identify 
442 births in two of the largest maternity hospitals, um, the Rotunda and the National Maternity Hospital, to non-EU nationals who had booked in very late or di who didn't have a booking at all. But again, those numbers included people who were legal, long-term residents um, who could have had Irish partners. So in that instance, their children would have been entitled to citizenship regardless. So our best estimates are maybe maybe one birth a day in the major hospitals taking, um, you know, in that kind of context. And I suppose the question that the opposition raised was whether that was statistically significant enough to warrant the kind of major constitutional change that people were being asked to approve. And so for the children since uh, the the laws were changed or, and the referendum um, was passed, what has been the result for them? We're 16 years on. so. They're all still children, but, you know, in their teenage years now, a lot of them. Well, it has a quite a profound impact on individuals who are being affected by this. There was a 2020 report commissioned by the Ombudsman for Children. And they that report pointed out that without citizenship, individuals are excluded from applying for PPS numbers, social security numbers. They might not be able to access third level education as a result, employment, uh, housing, healthcare, pensions, even open a bank account and um, register a birth or a marriage. And of course, most seriously of all, if, if your status is um, irregular, there's always a possibility that you and your parents could be served with a deportation order and you could be returned to a country that you have never visited. Yeah, and that has happened. People might remember the case of Eric Xi Yingxi, um, who was threatened with deportation to China, having never lived there. You, you might take us through that example and if you have any other case examples of it. So that's a case I think a lot of people will be familiar with. Um, and my understanding is that Eric was born here. He had lived in Wicklow all his life. He was at primary school there. He'd never left the country. And because of the 27th Amendment, he was not an Irish citizen. My understanding is that his mother had been in the country for over a decade when she was served the deportation order because she had never regularised her status. Um, and they were both served the deportation order and there was a very real possibility that they could both have been returned to China, a country that Eric had never been to by all accounts. Now, in that instance, Minister Simon Harris intervened and he was granted permission to stay on a discretionary basis. But I mean, that's only one case that we became aware of through the media. There was another decision that came before the High Court in 2013, the Omar case. Now, the question before the courts related to the legality of Mr. Omar's arrest um, related to his deportation. But it was the, it was the same kind of idea. Um, the parents in that case had arrived here in 2005 from Tanzania. They were living in Limerick and Tevin Omar was born here in Ireland in May 2006. And he had lived here for his whole life. He was at, sec he was, um, at primary school in Limerick. He was in second class. And what happened is that one night the, the guardie arrived at his family home late um, the guards entered the house and they instructed his parents to wake him up. And the judgment tells us that he was bundled into a guard car with his parents and he was driven through the night to Dublin airport to be deported to a country that he had never been to. Now, the judgment doesn't tell us if he was in fact deported, but he was certainly subject to a deportation order.
And we know that there's no public way to check whether or not someone has been deported. And this case wasn't reported on in the media at the time. So we've no conclusive answers on that. But it is cases like this, Hillary, that Labour are talking about, isn't it? Like when they're proposing this bill. As I said in the introduction, it's up in the Shannon at the start of December. But can you tell us exactly what the party is proposing? So the Labour Party bill proposes to change the law to allow children born in Ireland and who have lived here for three years to be considered for naturalisation as Irish citizens regardless of the status of their parents. And the first thing to flag is that it's not a restoration of automatic birthright citizenship. Instead, it gives children born in Ireland a pathway to become citizens if they've lived here for three years. Um, So it avoids the possibility that was um, raised in 2004 that somebody would be able to come here to Ireland with no connection to the country to have their baby here, to collect a passport and return home. Instead, it allows children of undocumented parents a chance to regularise their status if they've been here for a number of years. And currently, there is no regularisation scheme in place to help children of undocumented parents. Under Irish citizenship law, the person who applies for naturalisation of a child is their parent or their guardian or the person acting in that capacity. That would no longer apply to Irish-born children. Um, Only the child would have to satisfy the residence condition, not their parents or their guardians. And in addition, the period of residence wouldn't have to be reckonable. Effectively, that would mean that children born in Ireland to parents in the asylum process, for example, or who are undocumented, would be able to apply for citizenship after three years, um, after three years residence. And so that's a particular benefit to children who are born here to people seeking international protection or asylum and undocumented children. And it will also help children whose parents have spent time in Ireland, which isn't currently counted towards residency. So for example, they might've come here as students. Could the same argument that was made in 2004 be made though, that people would use that, as you said, asylum um, seeking process is still incredibly long, that people would think that three years is something that they could do um, to quicken up the the process um, or wait it out. Yeah, I think that's possible. Um, I suppose the answer from or the argument that you would make from the other side is that why would children of those parents have to suffer the consequences? Because currently that situation happens regardless and those children are somewhat stuck in limbo. Um, they are, you know, and, and they don't have any means of regularising their status. And this would give them the ability to do that. How come a referendum isn't needed if we needed one the first time, but not now? A referendum isn't necessarily needed because the 27th Amendment included the proviso that citizenship can be regulated by law. So it gave the power to the Oireachtas to regulate citizenship, which they did uh, through a 2004 Act. So we can change the law through the Oireachtas without um, necessarily the time consuming and expense of a referendum process. It's much faster and given our current context, the pandemic, uh, there might not be much of an appetite for a referendum. There's practical concerns about how voting would be organised. Where does all this fit into the fact that we are a European Union member state? So the decision that I discussed in 2003 earlier has actually been superseded by a decision of the European Court of Justice, a case called Ruiz Zambrano. And the decision of the European Court of Justice in that case established that a third country national can't be removed from the state if it would effectively deprive their European Union children of their right to reside in the EU. 
So if you're an Irish citizen and your parents are not, they cannot be deported if it would mean that you would be effectively um, deprived of your right to live in Ireland. But if you are not an Irish citizen, as many children aren't as a result of the 27th Amendment, you cannot avail of those protections. So would that complicate matters then if or would we still be in line with EU immigration policies if we changed our laws here? I think there wouldn't be an issue in terms of European law if we changed our laws. What it would mean is that more children who are born in Ireland, um, who have lived here all their lives, would be able to avail of the protections that is granted to them by citizenship, both Irish citizenship and, and being a member of the European Union. Thanks so much, Hilary. As I said, this debate is going to be ongoing, especially with the bill up in the Shannon again at the start of next month. Thanks for joining us on The Explainer. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Hilary for joining us. If you read the journal, you may have seen our appeal in the past few months for you to support our journalism. We now have options for you to become a regular contributor. And if this is something you'd like to do, please head to thejournal.e forward slash contribute. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.